If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Welcome, everyone. Happy Friday. Today, um, I have two sides of my listeners. We are debuting our LinkedIn Live portion of Voice America. So welcome to all my viewers out there on LinkedIn, and welcome to all my audio listeners on Voice America. Um, Super excited about this. We were supposed to do this last week, but we had some technical glitches. Sorry about that. There was our first technical glitch we had. So here I am. Welcome, everyone. For those that don't know me, I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events. We host cybersecurity events throughout North America, and we um, basically are educating cybersecurity practitioners on the ongoing issue of these daily um, attacks that are happening in the cyber world. Today on our episode, we're going to go back to a little bit of the basics. We're going to talk about not forgetting about the fundamentals, back to the basics of cybersecurity. We already know 2021 has started off with a huge bang. It hasn't stopped. We started with solar winds, and we're still continuing to see um, it continues to get worse and worse as we see the aftermath and the fallout. Cyber t- attacks are on an ultimate huge time high. Um, cyber teams are having a hard time finding IT professionals. They are, the market is grossly, grossly insufficient of uh, demand for IT professionals. So today my guest is Victor Bittner. He's the CEO of Cybersecure Canada. So today I have my first international guest. Um, he's actually going to be sitting on a panel. We have our Canadian Cybersecurity Conference coming up May 13th. So I'm super excited to have him here. But let me tell you a little bit about Victor. He is a board member and VP of the High Technology Crime Investigations Association. He's also the CEO of Cybersecure Canada. He's been working in the technology industry for 30 years. You can see him frequently on all kinds of different media channels, local and international, CTV News, Global News, the Toronto Star, the Toronto Sun. He has such a long list of specialties that I can't even list them all because it would take up most of the hour. But he has IT disaster recovery, risk analysis, data encryption. It goes on and on too long um, for me to shout out now, but we will find out more about him during the episode. He has been on the Cybersecurity 500 list, number six in Canada for the last seven quarters as a of December 2016. So congratulations to Victor on that. So let's bring Victor in. Welcome to the show, Victor. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's uh, actually three o'clock in uh, Toronto. Well, how, well, how's everything going in Toronto? Uh, Pandemic-wise, uh, we're uh, potentially going into, um, well, we're in a lockdown right now, and they're talking about uh, further lockdown measures. We don't know yet. I haven't listened to the news today, so um, it's never good. It's never wow. good news. But so, uh, what I did 
find out yesterday was we hit number one. Uh, more the number one infections in Canada, uh, in the world, per capita. So that hit the news here. So wow. we're having lots of challenges. Well, that's a shame because, you know, I'm from the Midwest in the United States, um, Missouri, St. Louis, and, you know, everyone's out and about and vaccinations are flowing. You know, I've, I've just finished number two. How are your vaccinations going in Toronto? It's, <laughs> I think uh, we have about 8 million vaccinated and the program now is a four-month delay, up to four months for your second shot. Uh, with the two-shot program. So it's going to be interesting coming up in the next few months. Well, we are all sending, you know, you guys the best wishes from over here. We're very excited for one day to get across the border and come back over to your beautiful country of Canada. So we definitely miss that. Well, uh, well, Victor, let's just find out, you know, before we get started, let's find out a little bit more about you and your company. Let's talk about Cybersecure Canada. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's, the company is actually Cybersecurity Canada, and we're a certification body for the Cybersecure Canada program, which is a federal program. And it was instituted by uh, the federal government. Uh, The idea is we're dealing with threats on a regular basis and small businesses are the easiest to target. Uh, They have, uh, they're working with no budgets uh, that the cybersecurity professionals are lacking in this country. Uh, We're in a challenge and what we're trying to do as a program is get people at a baseline, like do the basics, you know, the backups and the antivirus and properly configured firewalls. And if something were to happen, uh, who do you call? You know, like in in the, uh, we used to call the Ghostbusters, but today uh, we don't know who to call. So you have to have a plan. Uh, your IT people are usually the first ones to, to get involved, but today we have uh, breaches, uh, ransomware attacks, and people are exfiltrating information. And that's considered a breach. Um, according to one of our uh, Canadian laws, Castle Canti- Canadian Anti-Spam Legislation, um, you, any, any intrusion could be an application that's installed on your computer without explicit consent of the owner is a breach. So it has to be documented and reported. And uh, the fines uh, are a bit of a challenge in Canada, but everything is evolving. We have, uh, there's new changes to the federal regulations for digital data, you know, digital privacy. There's a new act called C-11 that's been, that's in reading. Um, It may be passed. It's got some, uh, some fines for organizations that don't follow. It's probably going to be uh, along the lines of uh, GDPR that's in the U.S. And uh, so that's what we're doing today. Our history is uh, some um, uh, incident responses uh, we've been involved in. We get into some of the forensics 
uh, that's why I'm a member of the uh, High Tech Crime Investigation Association because it's an educational uh, group. Uh, it's international, again. And uh, it's basically we're learning about new technologies, uh, you know, all the threat intel that's out there. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at... Uh, um, it's basically it's just a uh, an educational program, so the people there are involved in policing, private investigators, so that's what the High Tech uh, Crime Investigation Association is. Um, we've been involved in also uh, up until uh, the uh, the certification programs that uh, came into play. Uh, we were uh, doing a lot of security assessments. And, uh, you know, as a general rule, when I come into an organization, uh, they don't even make a scorecard. Uh, you know, we've been involved in, uh, I was asked to do uh, an, uh, just a, an assessment, a basic assessment of an organization. And uh, while we were there just looking at the computers, uh, things were popping up on all the computers and they were recently involved in a business email compromise where someone tried to steal, I think it was about uh, $28,000 who pretended to be one of their vendors. So we're looking at it and things are popping up on a regular basis. And I said, you know, we can't really go too far with this because you're already compromised. So, uh, you have to do something about it. So that's uh, uh, that's a bit about you know our some of our history. We have all kinds of things we can talk about, but you know we only have one hour or less now. So <laughs> well, I can go on. Well, let's talk about some of these. You know, like what is the difference? Because you are involved with the high tech crime association, the investigations associations. Where is the overlay between Cybersecurity Canada and that? Because it looks like you know you're very involved in both of those. Well, the the overall, you see, if uh, it's a dream, okay, but if people actually protected their environments uh, and things actually worked as you know as expected uh, you wouldn't need forensics because you'd be eliminating all the breaches you know you'd be eliminating a lot of the work that you would need unless you're dealing with insider threat uh, you know an employee decides to take revenge or steal information then that's where the forensics would come into play and that's also busy uh, a busy environment but uh, we're trying to reduce the need for forensics by actually having companies protect themselves so they don't have to call in these e expensive forensic investigators to go and analyze all the computers and it's just uh, you know the idea is we want to make people resilient we want them to protect their environment so that they don't uh, succumb to um, a bad click. So let's break that down a little bit. If you're trying to, you know, emit the forensic teams from coming out, you know, coming into your organization, what does that look like? And where do companies even start to accomplish something like that? Well, 
the idea is uh, we want to create a, a it's called, it's a baseline. We want a baseline of uh, organizations to secure themselves, and it means uh, they should understand what they have to protect, and they should understand where they have, uh, you know, their assets that they need to protect. Uh, we want them to know that uh, they they have to understand their organization. Um, they have to understand that there is a risk of being online connected to the internet. So there's a lot of education involved in getting these people to, you know, getting companies to understand, uh, you know, how uh, the risk factors. Uh, one of the things that we ask for in one of our uh, controls is we're asking organization, organizations to self-identify their primary cyber threat. Uh, so if this is like the begin, this is just the start, you know, the, the assets, how many people are in play, uh, and that's just organizational controls. And that's where we want people to start. And then the first thing we ask for a company is, okay, something is going to happen, whether you know it or not, it, it may have happened, uh, but something's going on. And then you discover it. What do you do? Do you call your IT guys? Do you know the laws, uh, the requirements? I know in, in the United States, the laws are very strict about uh, incident reporting. In Canada, they're becoming strict. Uh, but you still have to document these events. And we want people to have an actual plan. Uh, we go into companies, even IT companies and cybersecurity companies, and we ask them, you know, what do you do? This is your business of fixing up companies. They say, oh, yeah, we know what to do. We have it all prepared. Uh, we all know what we're going to do when an event comes up. So the first thing I ask is, do you have it documented? And they usually say no. And these are the people that... Uh, are going out there and doing the actual work. So we want them, like, what if they get breached? You know, one of the biggest targets in the past has been the supply chain. And who's the supply chain? Uh, you know, companies like SolarWinds, like the big one that uh, just came through. We have, we've had other uh, smaller uh, IT organizations that supply the, uh, the MSPs, the managed service providers. So, uh, They've been a target. And once you get into these providers, you now have an entry into their clients. And if they have any, uh, any goodies, you know, like servers that they can encrypt, if the company looks like it's got some money, then, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a way for us, uh, for the bad guys to, to get in. So we want the MSPs to start protecting themselves and doing things, uh, having proper procedures, and then push it into their clients. So uh, it's, uh, that's kind of what, uh, you know, what we're seeing out there. You know, uh, like you were saying, I think the intro had, you know, and you said that the, the threats are escalating. Um, I was just at a uh, recent, well, two conferences, one uh, 
had uh, Interpol, their cyber guys there, and they're saying that 2020, uh, the numbers overwhelm. I can't believe, you know, I'm having a hard time grasping it, mm-hmm. but they're saying it's a $6 trillion industry, $6 trillion in 2020. And they expect it to go up to $10 trillion in 2025. So there's going to be some big growth. And I was at a, uh, just yesterday, another uh, another webinar with CyberPoll. And they were saying that, you know, from their uh, estimates, it's only about uh, uh, $3.9 trillion. But it's trillions of dollars. It's thousands of billions of dollars. Of it's just oh, it's mind-boggling. It's hard to grasp. You know, we're mere mortals, and these people are making trillions of dollars. You know, it's uh, um, and they're getting it from a lot of small businesses. You know, they're getting five thousand here, ten thousand here, fifty thousand here. They go to a large business uh, or a hospital. They may ask for a million or two million dollars. You do this enough times, it adds up, and they're seeing it. And also, intellectual property theft. Uh, you know, the United States has the CMMC certification program that they've started, and they're just getting it underway. Uh, the U.S. government, I. Th- uh, invested about $60 billion or they're, they're investing $60 billion into this program and it's to secure their supply chain uh, because they're seeing uh, uh, one of our meetings they were talking about uh, uh, $600 billion in uh, losses whether it's IP theft or uh, downtime um, and these are internet-based events. So uh, it's, it's just mind-boggling the amount of data. You know, it's, uh, so we want, to, we want at least the small guys to start with something and protect themselves so they don't become the lowest-hanging fruit. Right. And we're seeing it happen daily. I mean, we see it in the news. It's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's overwhelming. And, you know, people, people are not, we just can't even keep up with it. So, and then we've got this sort shortage of IT professionals in the industry, you know, we can't get them in and educated enough. So I, and now you have CEOs putting, you know, expanding their budgets to now focus 50% on cybersecurity from some of the research I was doing. I was trying to do the research of the, what you were just talking about, some of the trends of the predictions of what the, the cost of all of this is going to be. And it's all over the place. You you can't even really pinpoint it down to a particular number. But you know, going back, so since there's such a shortage of IT professionals, do you think? I mean, I, I put on educational conferences, so you know, I'm I'm doing these every week. People are coming to my events. They get certifications for coming. But I also the big thing in the virtual world, and we're trying to implement implement some new software. Is we don't really know sometimes. You know, they in the virtual world, you can turn your computer on, and we don't really know if they're watching what we're 
we're presenting to them. We see, you know, 250 people or something in that control panel, but are they really paying attention? So, so we're going to fix that and kind of have some new software to make sure they're there. But how much time do you think that these companies, because the cybersecurity teams are so bogged down with issues, how much time do you think that they are getting to go back and retrain and, and keep up on their certifications? It, it, it just seems like, do these companies have enough time to even have them do that? Uh, well, the uh, you see, the, the problem is this is so fast-moving. Uh, you get certified uh, last year, and you have a good, in, good idea of what the attack trends are at that time. But the attackers turn on a dime. So when, uh, when people know how they're going to do any sort of attack... They'll just change. They'll modify it slightly. They may, you know, if it's a phishing attack, uh, which is very common, um, they're going to change it a little bit uh, because they're all they're constantly learning what people will respond to. So they're evolving as we're evolving. Uh, we have a lot of technology that is trying to defend us by validating all the emails. Um, but some things do get through, and they're so well-crafted that uh, it's a real challenge to, uh, you know, to figure out what's real, what's not. You know, if it's, and if it's not the, uh, the computer, it's going to be your phone, because everyone today has a phone attached to their body. You know, it's your lifeline. So... Uh, you're going to get alerts uh, that you recognize, uh, but they're actually phishing alerts and there's attempts to break into your, your phones. It could be, uh, you know, we have to re-authenticate you in a system. So it's, it's just nonstop. It's, uh, and the guys are really good. The bad guys are, are uh, they're smart well, that, that's their job. That's what they're there to do. So when you go back to some of these basics, and, you know, maybe you have uh, a couple of, you know, examples you can give us. Like, for let, let's start with incident response plans. So what happens if a company doesn't have a good incident response plan in place? Like, what, what would be the pro? Obviously, we all probably know what the advantage is, but what would be the disadvantage? Uh, in Canada, uh, mo most organizations don't have a, an incident response plan. So uh, they will start, they will call their IT. Their IT will come in and say, okay, we either, you know, we're, we're camping out at your place for a week and we're going to clean up all the systems, reinitialize everything. Uh, they'll go through the whole process and... Uh, the client is going to be up and running in a week or two, whatever, and it's done, and it's the end, and no one knows about it, uh, except for the the hacker and the owner of the company and the IT team. Uh, we have to report these intrusions because uh, if the gov if our governments see that it's happening to even small companies, uh, 
they will get inundated with phone calls and they're going to realize that something has to happen. You know, the policing is going to be more targeted for cyber. Uh, we see that happening, at least in Ontario. The Ontario Provincial Police are hiring people for cyber, uh, just cyber specialists uh, right out of school. Um, there's the Toronto Police has their cyber people now. You know, all the organizations, we, the federal government is bringing in cyber specialists. Uh, so we have to, uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, a hard call because uh, if you don't tell anyone you've been compromised, no one knows. And, and what are the lessons learned from it? Because we want to know in the in the plan at the end of an attack, uh, you have to learn how it happened, why it happened, what you can do so it doesn't happen again. Uh, we've seen attacks where um, you know the the IT uh, excellent group of guys, but the owner wants to be able to remote into his network and do some accounting or something, you know, check inventory from home. So they open up special ports for him uh, so he can use remote desktop or something to get into his uh, network. And the, you know, the IT did their job. The client is very happy, uh, but he hasn't used it in two years. So why is it open? Why is it still available? Someone has to know, you know, someone has to check that these things are shut down when they're not in use anymore. And that's one of the things we look for in our audit is, uh, you know, if you have these ports open, justify it. You know, is it still in use? These are things we see all the time. Um, you know, the WannaCry attacks, uh, some of the others are just because people use a service and forget about it and everything is open. So keeping uh, organizations um, in check by actually checking, you know, doing uh, their own little audits to see if uh, services and processes are are in use um, will help them protect themselves. And that's that's one of the lessons learned is, uh, you know, why was that left open? You know, shouldn't it have been dealt with uh, a year ago when the owner decided not to do use it anymore? And uh, he didn't tell anyone because, you know, it's not high in his priority. It's uh, the if there's any issues, he's got a firewall and it'll protect him. And the IT guys uh, will notice it if they're looking. So it's uh, that's one of the reasons you'd want to have like an incident response. It's going through the process is great, but it's lessons learned is equally as important because you don't want it to happen again. So we. Uh... Our, we are just finishing like our pilot series of and security for all and we are starting you know one year we're going to be doing this for 52 more weeks so one of the things in the pilot series we've had so many people on as our guests that we've talked about so much of the human element side which goes right into you know passwords and backups and you know passwords it's just it's just unbelievable the issues that we're having with passwords so how do you and you know it's usually the IT people I know have pretty 
crazy passwords that, you know, I would never, I would never guess, but it's the people, it's maybe the newer people or the people in the organization. So, so what do you say about that? What about password policies and password managers? Okay. First, I don't believe in passwords because they can be hacked. It doesn't matter how strong they are. You go into a website and you put in a 400 character password, which will take uh, two billion years to crack, but it's the back end that gets compromised, and it's just it it gets hashed, uh, could get you know salted hash whatever. But there's always something in the system that you will be able to crack that password. Uh, it's why we're seeing a lot of attacks with you know great passwords, but. Uh, the guys are in the system, and they're just constantly attacking uh, your passwords. And they're going to sit in the system for months or, or even years. We've seen, um, you know, we've seen one of the attacking apps. Uh, uh, it was, I think, past the hash uh, was in place. It was installed on a company for three years, and. Um, I asked the IT guys, like, do you know what this is? And they just kind of shrugged. And I said, well, you have a big problem. Um, the, I think we, we have to have password managers uh, because there's still legacy systems that are forcing us to do it. Uh, but I like having my phone as my uh, second factor. I like to have, uh, anytime I do anything, um, on a system, I don't like the password. So I try and use the push notification, the push approval, uh, so that um, that's my factor. That's my second factor uh, to get into it. I've proven myself. The system knows my IP, uh, but it's still not good enough. I want my phone to say, do you approve this uh, entry into the system? So... Uh, you know, I think this is going to have to be the, the future. It's going to be either biometrics or, or your facial ID or the facial ID and a tap to say, yes, I approve. Um, and it has to be off the system, like off the, the, uh, the system you're trying to protect. So it should be totally separate. So I, you know, passwords, my password manager literally has over a thousand passwords. So, well, I uh, recently had one of my earlier episodes. I had, I don't know if you know him, his name's Ori Eisen, and he has a company called Trusana. And he is, um, he currently has a password list. He believes that in three or four years, passwords are going to be like fax machines. We just don't use them anymore. He partners up with Frank Abnagal from Catch Me If You Can, and um, he's doing some pretty awesome stuff. So it's definitely something, if you don't know him, you should check into him because you really might like what he's doing. Um, so let, let's continue on with some of these other, these basic things that we've been, you know, I've been in the the same industry as you for almost 25 years. So these are very basics. Like let's go to firewalls. You know, we know that there was huge issues when everybody went home and they're, they're working digitally at home. Now we're starting to see people slowly going back. Some of them, you know, some will never go back, but what's your vision? What do you think is going to happen here? And what should we be concerned about? 
Uh, people, people have a sense of security when they go to an office and they have a firewall and it's protecting them from external attacks and it's doing, and firewalls have been extremely um, uh, well-built, designed so that uh, attacks from the outside are uh, well defended, but we're seeing the attacks from the inside and the firewalls are, are great. Um, we have um, we have firewalls that have all kinds of intelligence built into them, uh, but the basic technologies for, especially for the small businesses, is uh, you know they're they're working inside an office environment. They feel secure because their IT people said uh, you know you're safe, you're good, all is fine. Uh, the the firewall is protecting you. But today, the, the, uh, for small businesses, it's a lot of work to actually configure a firewall to decrypt your encrypted traffic. You know, when you go to a browser and you go to a website that says HTTPS, and you know that the communications from your computer to that site, whether it's legitimate or not, is encrypted. So your firewall does not normally decrypt that traffic so it doesn't know if you're passing anything malicious into the computer so you have to rely on technology on the computer to protect you so that little link there is a bit of a challenge for most small businesses uh, to get something to work properly you have to have the firewall decrypt it and then recrypt it so that you see it encrypted and it does the proxying, the filtering, all that good stuff on the firewall. That's a bit of a challenge for people to set up. Um, but the firewalls are necessary just because, you know, it's at least one line of defense. And with people working from home, uh, we actually, as part of our process, the audit process, um, I ask for screenshots of the the host firewalls, because they should be on by default. Uh, there's no reason for them not to be. So uh, some people want to play games or they want to open up torrents at home and download stuff. Um, that's their business. But if, they're, if it's a work computer, uh, we expect only the, uh, the required ports for doing your business open on the firewall. So... The host-based firewalls um, will give you the, some protection. Uh, they're not intelligent. You have to rely on some other intelligence on the inside of your network, which would be uh, today at home. It would be your laptop or desktop. So, so what do you anticipate is going to start happening when you are leaving, you know, it, it, it's going to be a slow process. So you're going to have an office at home. You're going to have an office back at the office for those companies that are going to require people to come back. What vulnerabilities have you left yourself open when you're in two different places? Uh, the, the biggest problem is, and we've experienced it uh, as recent as last week, where a client working from home VPNs into their organization, and that computer was compromised. And we found out that another computer on the network, the home network, actually broke into that computer, 
started scanning all the ports to see what it can do. We caught it scanning twice. Uh, the other, the, the attacker computer was scanning uh, the, the victim, basically. And uh, uh, they were able to make some changes into the environment. Uh, we didn't actually... Uh, we just caught the event, and we didn't actually look into it. The the IT guy said, "You know, you know, we're just going to wipe the computer and clean it up." But we did find track it, and it was on someone's uh, home computer on an endpoint that was being monitored. So, uh, we're people that are working from home, working from office. Uh, the because the bad guys, the the criminals are. Uh, they're really smart. Uh, we actually have to have some way of actually monitoring um, everything, anything that's malicious, and have uh, have it tied into some uh, intelligence platforms, and have some humans actually uh, determining if something is malicious or not. You know, we can't rely totally on machine learning or. You know, the, the big talk is AI, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but maybe it's out there. Uh, but it's basically machine learning that we have to deal with, and people are relying on it, and it's still imperfect because we're still getting breaches. So we need human intel uh, involved in the process, and traditionally, it's been very expensive. There are now some solutions uh, that actually will have humans looking at any type of anomalies that are happening on, on the systems and tie it in and, and notify you. So going back to some of the Canadian laws versus the United States laws, I was always under the impression that, especially when it came to GDPR and stuff of that nature, you guys were a lot tougher than the United States. What's um, when you're involved in this high, you know, the high technology, I, I'm sorry if I'm not, the high technology crime investigations, are you guys, is that part of your, who's responsible for that? How are people getting caught for that kind of information? Uh, the, the, uh, the high tech crime investigators is just uh, the forensic guys. They just do the digging. Okay. You know? That's that's what uh, the, these people do. They do the digging, they collect the evidence, and then it's going to be up to uh, lawyers or prosecutors to figure out how it's going to be. When it comes to privacy issues, uh, you have to look at the event as a whole. You have to look to see if, um, you know, we have Pepita, which is uh, our uh, Personal Information Privacy Act, Um that's in place right now. Um, it's being modified for the digital age. I think it's about 20 years old. Uh, so it's going, uh, it's going to be modified. Uh, again, I think I mentioned uh, Bill C-11, and I don't have the full act, but it's, it's I think, a personal uh, pri privacy consumer act or something along those lines. And it is... Uh, uh, going to come into play. We don't know when it'll happen, but uh, that will uh, have some penalties for people that are negligent. And uh, negligence is now an interpretation. 
you know, if you haven't done your due diligence, you know, you, you handle uh, personal information, client information, uh, we want to protect that because they're potential targets. So if you don't do your utmost to protect it, then you could be liable to some sort of fines in the future if it's found out, if you don't hide it. And, and usually these things do come out in the wash later on. What kind of examples are you seeing um, of negligence of GDPR? Well, GDPR is European. so. But I thought that some areas in Canada, I thought you guys were... I remember I've been in the events industry for a long time and I did a lot of events in Canada and I just remember you guys implementing something that it, it was very scary for someone of my nature. So of my business, it, it really ended up being fine because we just put, you know, privacy policies in place and we were okay. But I'm just wondering what, what, when it comes to that, what are you seeing in Canada? Uh, well, it's, it's really, that's not quite my forte, but um, a breach is a breach, you know. Uh, so if that is getting out, uh, in Canada we have the Digital Privacy Act, uh, but it doesn't really have any teeth to it yet. Um, I think that's coming soon. So uh in the states you have uh, hipaa and you have the high tech act and you have socks mm -hmm. uh you have things that um there's consequences you know you open yourself up to fines to lawsuits uh to everything uh we don't have you know the lawsuits are going to start happening here because of people are deemed to be you know negligent in their protection of data we will see some uh, some lawsuits happening in Canada. So it's, uh, you know, that's a tough one for me. Well, okay, we can, we can switch, we could switch gears here. Um, so going back to, you know, we're going back to some of these basic things of going back to the fundamentals. Now some of the fundamentals have changed in the last 20 years. You know, one of the fundamentals right now and a big thing is we're having huge issues with IOT devices. So what would your recommendation be there? Like how do organizations go back? Cause we hear it all the time. We, you know, we, we hear the same lingo all the time don't click on a link you know don't you know there's all kinds of things how do you go back and reinforce that those kind of policies well with iot devices um i think someone just rehashed something in the news one of my alerts or something they talked about the uh, the fish tank thermometer and the casino that got compromised uh, it's basically uh you know, it's uh, you have to know what's in your organization, whether it's an IoT device or it's a laptop or it's a router or it's whatever it is. Um, it's a it's imperative that the organization knows what's it there. 
you know, they have to know that, you know, someone actually has to know that their thermometer is actually constantly talking to somebody and they should know who it's talking to. Uh, you plug in, say, your Nest, you know, it's talking to Google. Uh, someone should understand the type of traffic, when it talks to it, so that if there's any changes to it, uh, then they know that there's something uh, that has to be looked at. So it's understanding your environment is critical. You have to know what is coming in, what's going out. Um, you know, if your fridge starts talking uh, uh, to someone in, in Africa, you know, like, why? You know, it's, what's it doing? So someone has to know this. Someone has to know that maybe the fridge was compromised or your TV or the someone turned on the microphone on some of the TVs and they're listening to conversations in boardrooms or whatever. Uh, you have to know what you have to protect. And that's, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're stuck with IoT technology. Um, maybe one day there's going to be laws that will protect us from, uh, you know, poor manufacturing, poor uh, quality control of these devices, poor security practices, if they have any. Uh, that's, that will happen eventually, but uh, it's... You know, if you're bringing technology into your place, you have to know what it's going to do. It has to know who it's talking to. You know, you have to at least understand that, okay, I put in this device and it has to talk to, say, my fridge talks to LG. It's going to communicate, do updates, whatever. That's fine as long as you're okay with it. You know, if you say, I don't want my fridge talking to LG, stop the traffic, turn off the, the benefits of IoT, remote access, and all the other stuff you want. But you first have to understand uh, your environment and then weigh the risks versus the benefits. Well, and, you know, I'm not an IT person, but it's, it's pretty simple. You know, you, you can download whatever your Wi-Fi is. You can see every app that's online, everything that's online in your home, and you can pause certain devices. So, you know, I don't think there's a lot of talk about that. There's not a lot of training going on that it is so simple for the business side of the organization that may have, you know, some AirPods or whatever, whatever it may be, you know, in their purse that they bring to work. So, so where is the, the responsibility on the employee for keeping, helping keep the organization safe? That's a policy because all you can do is have a policy, say, if you're bringing your own devices into the environment, understand what the rules are. Um, you know, there should be repercussions. You know, you get a warning, uh, you may get two warnings. If you break the policy after three warnings, then it's a decision whether to, you know, let the employee go. Um, but it's, it's, again, it's the corporate culture that you have to uh, work with. But there should be a policy of uh, what you can bring into the, the organization and uh, what they can do with it. You know, it's... Uh, uh, People, I, you know, you bring your phone in. It's my personal phone. Um, I access corporate data. 
But if this phone gets backed up somewhere else, uh, that backup is now sitting somewhere else, and it had potentially has my corporate data on it, which I don't want. So you have to be able to isolate uh, your phones with corporate data or figure out some sort of methodologies to protect your information so it doesn't get out. It's, uh, you know, every, every little uh, twist that you can bring up, you know, whether it's IoT or endpoints, password policies, this is like a rabbit hole, you know. You can go in and just fall deep into it, and I hear music. Is it you know, no, I live in a 100-year-old home, and I knew the FedEx man was going to come while we were on. My, my doorbell's like church chimes. So that oh. is what you're hearing. <laughs> so, okay. And I forgot to put the note out there, don't ring my doorbell. So sorry yeah. about that. No, no, I just um, normally I have fire trucks uh, because I live close to fire, ambulance, and police. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a quiet afternoon. Well, so. yeah, that's one of those technical things that happen in this world of virtual. So yeah. anyway. So... Uh, speak, it's the rabbit holes. Um, you know, you can go into any, you know, if you want to look at endpoint security, uh, it's critical today. Uh, but uh, if you do your research, you could end up, you know, today finding the perfect solution. Tomorrow, there's going to be something better. Um, and then the day after, it's going to be, you know, something better. So you have to uh, it's like nonstop. Where do you stop? Where do you start? You know, where do you, you know, where does it end? And, you know, you have to uh, say with endpoint security, you should be looking at organizations that seem to be more cutting edge today than their competitors, their methodologies. Um, you know, again, you know, um, I don't like passwords. Um, I'm very vocal about it. Uh, I, you know, if you have to have passwords, use a manager. You should never write it down. Uh, backups are extremely important. It's a basic. That's one of the fundamentals. Is a basic. Is a backup. But we have people backing up on USB sticks, and then when they need it, they find out the USB stick doesn't work, but it says it was backing up. So we've had. Uh, uh, backups on USB drives. We had an organization that got really badly hacked and they had rotating external hard drives, um, but the software said it was working, but no one tested it. The IT didn't look at it. So, you know, it, it was there, it's backing up, but when it came time to use it, uh, they realized, okay, this is not, uh, you know, this is a lesson learned. And now they have a system where they can actually test their backups. And, you know, like that's, again, part of incident. Uh, the final part is the, the, uh, the lesson learned. Uh, but with backups, we want to see uh, companies have backups, have multiple backups. And we want to see uh, backups offsite and, if possible, encrypted offsite. So that in case the offsite gets compromised for whatever reason, it's still just, um, you know, it's just mush that no one can 
can uh, decipher. So those are, you know, these are the basics. Uh, we want multiple backups. We prefer off-site backups. Um, but a combination of them, you know, having local backups are great for quick recoveries if you lose files, whatever. But in the event of a disaster, uh, quite often the attackers will go after your local backups first. And they will encrypt it. They'll do whatever they can to do it, delete them, wipe them, whatever. Um, but they can't get to the offsite. So that's uh, very critical. And today it is a basic you know, offsite is one of our basics. So, you know, as we get to the end of the show, can you tell us just a little bit more about Cybersecure Canada and what exactly is your mission and what are you trying, being that you founded this company? Um, is that correct? Cybersecurity Canada is my company. Cybersecure Canada is the federal program. It's a okay. certification program. So our mission today is to help organizations historically um, protect themselves. Uh, we, we, we try and we do some training. Uh, we help organizations uh, try and figure out, you know, where they're at, what their posture is. Uh, we've now become a certification body and we're following the controls that were built by the communication security establishment in Canada, which is our, I guess you could say they're our, our electronic spies. You know, they're they're kind of the NSA of, uh, you know, U.S. They're our Canadians. And they've come out uh, with these actual controls uh, that they feel are best practice, and it's a minimum. So uh, this program... Uh, we do the actual auditing. We have uh, a team that actually can be practitioners, help organizations, uh, you know, get their acts together, help them with building policies, um, you know, making sure that all the controls are looked at, uh, getting them, pushing them to to document everything because it's all documentation today because we don't do anything on site. It's this is uh, this is what we're trying to do. Well, I'm uh, super excited that you're going to be joining us um, for our May 13th Canadian event. We actually have um, one of the panelists who's going to be the guest on my show next week. He is the chief security officer for the anti-human trafficking um, intelligence initiative. And that show we're going to be talking about bridging the gap between um, human trafficking and threat intelligence. So I'm very excited to have you. We, I'll have him as my guest next week, and then we will um, we will push more into that during the show on May 13th. But if there's like one message that you would like to leave our guests, and how can people find you? Uh, well, the, the message is stay safe, uh, cyber safe, and also pandemic-wise, be safe. Uh, we can be reached at cybersecuritycanada.com. Again, it's cybersecuritycanada.com. And if they want to contact me, they can co go to our website, go to the contact page, click on uh, the contact, and they can select uh, you know, what information they want about us, and they'll get a response. 
Great. Today's guest is Victor Bittner. He's the CEO of Cyber Security Canada. Thank you for being my guest this week. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.